1: Tonight, showdown on the Rio Grande while Biden and Trump visit the border to blame each other. A
2: very dangerous
1: border. We're going to take care of it. We expose the shockingly lax system, allowing violent criminals into America unchecked. Why the Border Patrol relies on the honor system. He, he doesn't, doesn't have, have a right to be in
0: his country.
1: What? But that has nothing to do with the yes, fact that he does. was a drunk. He should have been he deported. A Why 20 years later, we're still having the same debate about sanctuary cities. Airdrop charade. The White House reportedly plans airdrops over Gaza to placate the Hamas wing of Congress. You're threatening literally our democracy. Will throwing Israel under the bus
3: save the Biden presidency? Silenced. Now I think no? maybe we should stop this interview. You sound like you're uh, looking for an attack. I think we're good. The law
1: professor who wants to save us from disinformation. Who decides what's true in her brave new world? and boys to men
4: they found out I was conservative and they said okay you're completely going against what we believe like the whole school is very liberal and they i guess they just kind of pushed me away
1: america's young men turn to the right how forced wokeness on race and transgenders is backfiring all right we start with breaking news the presidential split screen just ended Former President Trump, President Biden wrapped up their trips to the border with predictable statements. We're going to get to the presidential politics of all of this in a minute. Welcome to The Ferris Show on television. First tonight, providing sanctuary and how America's mind about that is changing. Yes, there is the issue on the border and what to do about the border itself. That's one issue. But how we treat illegal immigrants already here is arguably a far more important point, especially when it comes to sanctuary cities. And there are a lot of them, probably one near you. There are 150 sanctuary counties across 12 states, coast to coast. Their policy is to not comply with U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, otherwise known as ICE. That means an illegal immigrant who the federal government would deport is instead released after arrest. These cities and counties quite literally thumb their nose at federal law enforcement and often let dangerous and violent illegal immigrants back on the street over and over and over again. To be clear, these are people who the feds want to deport. These aren't just any illegal immigrants getting let out of jail. These are people the federal government have already said should be deported They are arrested for some other crime, and because they are in a sanctuary city, they are released. The federal government is never made aware that these cities or states have in their custody a really bad person. Of course, it's not a new debate. It's been going on for 20-plus years. Like this debate between Bill O'Reilly and Geraldo Rivera over an illegal immigrant who allegedly killed someone drunk driving. He didn't commit here. a felony.
0: He, he doesn't, doesn't have... have a right to be in his country. What? But that has nothing to do with the yes, fact that he does. was drunk. He should have been he deported. Was what if, he, he should have been deported. And he, this mayor and a police chief didn't deport him.
1: Bill and Geraldo will be with us next week to continue that debate. But now, 20 years later, Lakin Riley's death is yet another preventable crime, another preventable death. The suspect in her death, Jose Ibarria, lived with four to five other illegal immigrants in a single bedroom near one of the largest college campuses in the country. It is no surprise nor a coincidence that he and other illegal immigrants picked Athens, Georgia. Athens, Clark, Georgia, the county there, is a sanctuary county. Police cited Iberra at one point, but he later walked free. His brother was also arrested twice and walked free as well. He even used a fake green card in the process. A spokesperson for ICE confirmed to News Nation that Diego Iberra had ICE detainers, but the athens Clark Police Department did not honor them, as we told you what a sanctuary city does. So why is this done, that law enforcement thumbs its nose at federal law enforcement? Well, the sheriff there in Athens, Georgia, explained why a couple of years ago.
0: It is not my intention when they like the sheriff to cooperate with those detainers. Uh, we can't help with a culture of fear in the community and expect the citizens to respond and help us in situations.
1: Hmm. It's interesting that he used the word citizens, but we'll get to that a little later. Lake and Riley lived in Athens, Georgia, hundreds of miles from the border, but now ground zero for the immigration debate, or at least the sanctuary city debate. Her murder has a lot of folks in a very liberal college town rethinking how they look at giving illegal immigrants get-out-of-jail free cards. News Nation's Alex Capriello starts our coverage from Athens, Georgia this evening. Hi, Alex. Hey there, Leland. Give us a sense, as you're talking to folks, did, did they really understand what it meant to be a sanctuary city, and now that they've seen the results, is their feelings changing?
5: Yeah, I think actually that press conference yesterday really struck a chord because it caught the attention of so many people who live here in athens Clark County because they saw the uproar that the people that were informed actually lifted to their mayor and to their city leaders, and so it kind of struck a chord with people. When you ask students here, I think really their heart is in sympathy for Lake and Riley and her family. They still feel this huge burden uh, that's uh, overwhelming this campus of her death. But every day, other citizens living here in Athens, living in and Georgia are realizing and recognizing the potential threat that undocumented immigrants who maybe have a criminal history that aren't deported actually pose to their community. Look no further than the two brothers, Jose and Diego Ibera, who, as you mentioned, were cited, were jailed on several instances in 2022 and 2023, but were let right back out into the community. And we know how that ended up with Jose Ibera now accused of murder, felony murder, aggravated assault and all sorts of other deep and dark felonies. I had a chance to ask many people about this today. Here were some of their responses, and you'll recognize the diversity of opinion between all these demographics. Take a listen.
0: I work around a lot of immigrants, uh, and they're some of the finest, hardest working, smartest people I've ever been around, but they've done it through the proper channels. And uh, I would prefer to see everyone do that through the proper channels. I think they ought to have a door open to them to be here, but I think they ought to walk through the proper door.
4: I mean, I've heard all the immigration talks, but I really don't think that has anything to do with it. I think it's more about men committing violence against women. And, I mean, for all we know, it could have been someone who was a citizen. I don't really think his immigration status has anything to do with it.
0: Had they done what they were supposed to do and followed the law, there's a chance this wouldn't have happened. There's a much greater chance
6: that this shouldn't have ever happened.
3: I mean, a lot of people come here for better opportunities and don't commit crimes. But if somebody comes here and is committing crimes, it's really like there's no no need for them to be here if they're killing people.
5: And I want to make it you know, extremely clear that when I asked the uh, ICE spokesperson about Athens and Clark County in specific, he told me that for years, uh, this local law enforcement really has not honored their detainment policies and the deportation policies that ICE wants to administer. So it's very clear while the mayor may not believe that this is a sanctuary city, certainly the law enforcement here isn't necessarily cooperating with the standards that ICE and other federal authorities want to set.
1: Yeah, you really have to think to yourself whether that's going to change um, in, light of, in light of this. Obviously, yesterday's meeting was the beginning, not the end of the conversation. Uh, we know Lake and Riley's uh, funeral right. is tomorrow. Uh, give us a sense, if, if you right. will, how she's going to be remembered. Have we heard from her family? Where, where that part of the story is going?
5: Yeah, I'll tell you what, just learning a lot about Lake and Riley, it's really opened my eyes to just how central of a figure she was within her many communities. Right here at the University of Georgia, at Augusta University School of Medicine, she really made an impact on her friends, her family. I spoke to one guy here who knew her from her hometown in Woodstock, which is about two hours to the west from where I'm currently standing, and he said the very same thing, that she was a light in that community. She was active in tennis, she was an active member of her church, she went on mission trips, and so uh, the family is asking for privacy for tomorrow's funeral. We won't be allowed to go into the church. We are allowed to be outside because we feel like it's important to really lift her up because while this has become a greater conversation about federal law enforcement and immigration reform, we can't forget that there is one young woman who was tragically murdered here and she meant so much to the people who loved her and so we certainly want to be there to lift up her life and provide a proper tribute.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, tragically, brutally murdered uh, as well. She's going to be a nurse, um, which speaks to someone who has a uh, kind and loving heart in a way that most of us uh, can only imagine. Alex, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Today, former President Trump said he talked to Lake and Riley's parents. At least so far as we know, President Biden has not. That distinction between the two men was on display when they went to the border today.
2: The majority of Democrats and Republicans in both houses support this legislation. Until someone came along and said, don't do that, it'll benefit the incumbent. But this is a Joe Biden invasion. This is a Biden invasion over the past three years. I call him Crooked Joe because he's crooked. He's a terrible president.
1: News Nation correspondent Ali Bradley with us now from Eagle Pass, uh, Texas. Ali, uh, Sunset Bear, give us a sense... When you're talking to people and you've covered the border now for years, you're there. Do people care who's to blame for it or they just want it fixed?
2: You know, we actually heard from a woman who is the wife of a Border Patrol agent. She said that it's Joe Biden's fault that her husband, a Border Patrol agent, feels unsafe every day. Other residents down here... Yeah, they want it fixed. Leland, they don't really care who's to blame, but most of them will say that it was more secure under former President Trump, that they weren't dealing with hundreds of thousands of people coming across the border and, of course, impacting their communities. So we do see more people along the southern border that I've talked to over the last nearly three years say that it was more secure under former President Trump. And that was all undone by current President Biden and his administration. We know day one, there was a slew of executive orders that he signed off on, literally undoing things that President Trump had put into place, like building the wall, Leland. So a lot of people want those measures and those policies back in place.
1: Yeah, the remain in Mexico, migrant protection protocols, uh, on and on and on. Ali, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Coming up next, the law professor who believes the First Amendment can be America's Achilles heel is there a new push to limit free speech in the name of safety? Huh.
3: Does this mean we have like a
1: disinformation court?
3: No. No, I no? think maybe we should stop this interview. You sound like you're um, looking for an attack. I think we're good. I, I guess I'm no, misunderstood. I misunderstood. I'm, just, I, I think I I'm just trying to ask
1: about your book, ma'am. And the White House may soon use American C-17s to airdrop food to Gazans, the real reason behind a very expensive photo op that has nothing to do with starving Gazans. You can't trust anyone or anything anymore. That's, of course, why you watch On Balance. We're glad you do. Just take what Google recently did, our go-to search engine for everything. Think about how many times you tell someone to just Google it. Well, a few weeks ago... They launched an AI image generator called Gemini. and As we've told you, if you searched for Nazis, it gave you images of Asian women and black men in German military uniforms because they wanted to be inclusive, not historically accurate. If you asked for an image of the founding fathers, you got this. So if you can't trust Google, what can you trust? Barbara McQuaid. Author of Attack from Within, How Disinformation is Sabotaging America. Professor of Law at the University of Michigan is with us. Thank you very much. It's good to see you. Congrats on the book. I'm fascinated just by the title. Who decides in, in your world, in your mind, in, in what you hope to, to help, what disinformation is?
3: Well, I think all of us have a responsibility to look to evidence, data, statistics before we reach conclusions about what is factual and what is not. You know, my background is as a a criminal prosecutor, I prosecuted crimes, and before a fact, could be deemed true, there had to be attribution for that fact. Just like in journalism, you don't just say things, mm-hmm. you attribute it to a source. And in the same way, in court, we use evidence, uh, testimony, documents, records. So, so does this mean and we are have like, a it,
1: disinformation court? Uh,
3: no. No, I no? think maybe we should stop this interview. You sound like you're um, looking for an attack. I think we're good. I, I guess I misunderstood. No, I, I, I'm just, I, I think I'm just trying
1: to ask about your book, ma'am.
3: Uh, I'm, sorry if I'm just no, trying to no, figure out. The title of your book. Not, the title
1: of your book is "Disinformation is Sabotaging America." Who decides what
3: is and is not disinformation? We do based on facts and evidence. Okay. And it is. I'm not proposing a disinformation court, but you know there is this idea that people want to suggest there's no such thing as facts. There's no such thing as truth. Mm-hmm. Because if there are no facts and no truth, I can call everything that's inconvenient fake news and I can get away with anything. And I think if we are to have a country based on integrity and facts and reach conclusions, we have to base those things on facts. Now, who is the arbiter of facts? I guess ultimately that is uh, the court of public opinion. But we should reach those conclusions based on evidence uh, and data and not just because someone said something to deem it to be false. OK, so I, and I, I think, you know, in the law,
1: you often take things to the extreme. I'm not I'm not a lawyer, but I think about when, for example, Hunter Biden's laptop was called disinformation. It's later it's later now been found out to be true. So was that sabotaging America? How do we deal with things that are that appear to be a disinformation or people would tell you is different is disinformation
3: that is not? Yeah, so we really need to discern facts and from fiction and legal conclusions. With regard to the Hunter Biden laptop, for example, I think it has been determined that much of the email and content that was on that laptop was genuine. Uh, but to this day, there has not been a conclusion that it was his laptop. And so if you go to some of the websites that do work to uh, debunk false claims. There's one called politifact.com. There's one called FactCheck.org. There's another called Snopes, you know, nonpartisan efforts to present what is actually. Really? They're nonpartisan, you think? I'm sorry. You really think they're nonpartisan? I think they endeavor to do their best to present okay. facts. And what, and what they do, Leland, let me explain what they do. They attribute the facts that have been demonstrated. Rather than wild conclusions, they say, here's what we know and how we know it, and here's what we don't know. And so, you know, people will take one grain of, of, of truth and then spin it into something larger than it is. I and I think it's incumbent on all of us to try to look at what are the actual facts so that we no, can work together to solve problems. Instead I, I agree of with it. Uh, gotcha, but you make a, you're doing you make
1: right a, now. I don't think I'm play, trying to play gotcha. I'm just trying to ask a couple of questions here. And I think your book is, is important because it's something that people are talking about, about, an, about ways to change laws. I know you've suggested possibly uh, changing the First Amendment in one way or another to protect people yeah. um, from. Well, that's what you said last night. Uh, Have you read the book? No, I haven't. I'm just going off what you said last night.
3: That explains your uh, lack of knowledge of what I say in the book. I absolutely don't say anything about uh, changing the First Amendment. What I say is we can enact a number of legal regulations with social media that comply With the First Amendment. For example, there are algorithms on social media that generate outrage and push us toward content that encourage us to be outraged in an effort to keep us on those platforms. We know that because a Facebook whistleblower named Francis Haugen testified about that.
1: I was going off when you said yesterday that you were calling free speech an Achilles heel was, I think, the term you used, right?
3: Yeah, so what I said is uh, free speech is some a cherished value in our country. You cherish it. I cherish it. It is what makes us a free democracy and the ability for us to speak out against our government. It's what gives us free protest, and it's an incredible value. But there are people out there who are exploiting our very freedoms against it because they know we cherish this right of free speech. They bombard us with no. false claims. Knowing,
1: that fair, fair, the, fair enough, fair, fair, fair enough. There's been a lot of false claims uh, back and forth. I, uh, well, I, I was invited not to return to a job because I called out some false claims. So uh, we, all, we all understand the, the danger of it, I guess. Um, I, I want to do you understand, though, why so many conservatives are so concerned about this? Because there has been the silencing of speech by calling it disinformation, whether it was Hunter Biden's laptop. Or whether it was the idea that if you got the COVID vaccine, you couldn't get COVID, uh, and then you were, you were you know, labeled uh, anti-science if you questioned that, that later turned out uh, to be false. Do you understand why conservatives
3: hear this and get so, so alarmed? Well, I, I don't want to assume that anybody who watches your show is a monolith and that conservatives are one group. And I think that's one of the harms that we've done in society is to set, suggest that there are only two sides to every issue and there's an us versus them. Because, of, of course, real debate is more nuanced than that. But I don't think anyone ever said... If you get a COVID vaccine, you will never get COVID. I think what they said is this can reduce our, 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 our likelihood of dying from COVID. I got the COVID vaccine. I bet you did, too, because I wanted to protect myself and the rest of society. And as a result of that miracle, which, by the way, was all part of Donald Trump's Warp Speed program that got that vaccine created and out into the community, was a miracle. It was a fantastic feat. Of science. And so, you know, those who are out there trying to suggest that it doesn't do what it does, I think, is endangering public safety in a time that we need to be working together to solve problems.
1: Uh, Just a couple of things. Yes, did get the vaccine. President Biden did actually say uh, this is the Associated Press, so uh, take what that you know. President Joe Biden offered an absolute guarantee Wednesday that people who get their COVID 19 vaccines are completely protected from infection, sickness, and death from the coronavirus. And I just asked this question Do you understand why conservatives, yes, well. broad, broadly speaking, conservatives over time have gotten scared that when they make, they question things, they make statements, they have opinions, that, that the, the disinformation police, if you will,
3: Uh, come down a lot harder on them than they do on the left. Well, certainly we don't want anybody to be disinformation police. I cherish free speech rights. Uh, I work on a college campus where freedom of of expression, freedom of speech, academic freedom are uh, safeguarded. And those are very important things. And so I don't think it is so much uh, the idea that anybody is being arrested for political speech but I do think we have an obligation to call out that which we believe to be false and to share facts based on evidence. And, and I think that we do a disservice when we try to talk about conservatives versus progressives or the red team versus the blue team or Republicans versus Democrats. I'm old enough to remember a time, Leland, when we could have our own thoughts about different issues uh, across the political spectrum. It wasn't all or nothing. And you know, now it yeah. seems that people care more about political purity and less about compromise. And I think that we need to look at hard facts so that we can reach agreement on things for compromise. You know, for example, what's going on at the border right now? We hear a lot of political outcry Mm -hmm. on both sides of this issue. And I think that there are some who would rather have chaos at the border to divide us than for us to make hard decisions and compromises that it takes to have real solutions there. And and so- uh, no, I can't. I can't argue
1: with that. We've 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 said that said as much on the show. I think your point, your point about political purity uh, is a good one, and it's probably why uh, America is where it is right now. Which I think all of us, what is say eighty percent now say uh, <laughs> they think it's going in the wrong direction. So there's there's a reason we all agree on that. Professor, thank you. Congratulations on the new book. I think you bring up a lot of good points. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you, Leland. Next, illegal aliens busted for everything from drunk driving to assaulting cops to rape and murder come across the border every day and get released by the Border Patrol. Why America's borders rely on the honor system. All right, this is just some of the video we've collected over the years of illegal immigrants carrying out violent crimes in the United States. And of course, not every person entering the country is bad. In fact, most just want a better life. And... Immigration advocates will tell you, and it's true, that immigrants create and commit crimes at a lower rate than the rest of the population. But there are some pretty bad actors who come in. Customs and border protections, though, their hands are tied in terms of trying to stop those bad actors from coming into the United States because they're only able to track the criminal history of folks from a very few countries. The National Border Patrol Council estimates we only have access to the criminal history from 20 countries, that's about 10% of the countries worldwide, mostly there are friends rather than bad places, like Venezuela and China and Iran. We've seen an increase in the number of people crossing from those dangerous countries. In fact, Venezuela ranks second for people coming to America, and Venezuela is now safer than ever. Well, safer than any time in the past 20 years. Crime there is way down. You can see 26.8 violent deaths, murders per 100,000. Now it's a third of that. And here's why. The criminal element has come north. President Biden, though, who has the option through unilateral executive orders to change what happens at the border, especially to people from countries where we can't tell if they have a criminal history or not, he could change how those people are handled at the border. Brandon Judd is here, president of the National Border Patrol Council, Brandon. Good to see you. Congratulations. I know you did a lot of work uh, on the visit today for former President Trump, and we're going to get to that in a minute. I'm curious, though, and because the the murder of Lake and Riley is is really focusing us now on on yes. people who've come across who have, who are, are bad actors and have done bad things outside of those 20 countries, most of whom are U.S. allies. Do do Border Patrol agents basically rely on the honor system of hey, hey do you have a criminal history back home or not?
0: that's all we can rely on every single time that somebody comes into into our custody we fingerprint them we we look to see if they have a criminal record here we're hoping that they that that we have something on interpol or we're hoping that other countries share something but the vast majority of these individuals we have to take them at face value based upon what they say because the burden of proof is on us to show that they have a criminal history rather than on them
1: all right, so help us understand, when people come across, they could have long criminal histories back home. Uh, Venezuela, Iran, Syria, Uzbekistan, wherever it is, Russia, China. And if they say to you, hey, I don't, you know, nope, I'm, I've just been, you know, coming here to come to America for a better life, so long as you don't have any individual uh, hits on, on the Interpol uh, fingerprints – then they get into the U.S.
0: Yeah, that's correct under uh, under current situations. So you got to understand that when we're not dealing with thousands upon thousands of people every single day, we have more time to do a little bit more research. But when you're dealing with 6,500, 7,500, 9,000 people, you don't have as much time. You have to get people out. We we only have so much room to hold people in custody, and that's why we have to take them at face value. We've got to cut this down to give us more time to properly vet people, otherwise this is going to continue to happen all
1: right uh, president biden uh, was also uh, at the border today no surprise or coincidence that the two of them were a couple of hundred miles apart here's president biden offering an olive branch if you will to president trump take a listen
2: so here's what i would say to mr trump instead of playing politics with issue instead of telling members of congress to block this legislation join me or i'll join you and telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together.
1: The Border Patrol Council had supported the, the legislation. Uh, uh, totally agree it wasn't perfect, but it was better than nothing. Did you talk to President Trump about that at all
6: today?
0: Yeah, just just for a second. And and I don't need to. I've I've spoken with him before. Uh, Look, he recognizes that from day one, he's going to be able to do a lot more than what this this border bill would do. He also recognizes that if this border bill passes right now, and if he is elected, there's not going to be an appetite to get another border bill passed. What I have to look at is I have to say, you know, there is a possibility, although I believe he's going to win, there is a possibility that he is not and I have got to get what I can get get when I can get that. And that's why I support that border bill. It is much better than what our current laws are. And if, and that's how I weigh things. I look at things are, what is the status quo? What could we do with the the border bill? And it is better. So I understand completely why he's doing what he's doing. He understands where I'm coming from. And that's what's really, Mm -hmm. what I really like about him. He can work with people that have policy disagreements like myself. President Biden cannot. There's a reason that President Biden never talks to me because he knows that I disagree with his policies and he doesn't want to hear what I have to say.
1: Uh, all right, Brandon, thank you very much. Congratulations on, a, a, as I know, what was a, a successful visit in your guys' mind. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Coming up next, boys thank used you. to rebel against their parents by growing their hair long. I never did that. But now they're rebelling by becoming more conservative. What's driving American boys to the right when we come back?
0: Of masculinity, uh, young people are told that masculinity is a negative.
1: Turns out the left's war on toxic masculinity isn't working out as planned. Young men are tired of being called transphobic and racist for listening to country music and wanting to keep boys off their sisters' sports teams. And in response, they are becoming conservative in record numbers. Ricky Schlott just wrote in the New York Post. Teens go against the grain, and the most rebellious thing a young person coming up in the ultra progressive era, when left wing politicians are shoved down their throats by their schools, marketing campaigns, and celebrities can do is swing to the right. Senior editor for Reason, Robbie Suave, joins us, also with our partners at The Hill. Good to see you, my friend. Thank you. You think this is a real move by young men to be actually conservative, or is it just sort of as Ricky points out, rebel against whatever they're being told.
6: I mean, I do think it's both. They are rebelling against a kind of ideology on the left that holds them responsible for all the world's failings that doesn't offer them anything. It offers women something, it offers people of all kinds of minority backgrounds something, saying we're gonna improve society, you've been disadvantaged in the past, and there's nothing wrong with that, nothing incorrect about that, but it's not offering anything to a lot of young men who's... if uh, you're you're a young white guy... Yeah, what does it have for
1: you? In high school or college, you are sort of forced to atone and apologize, and as you point out, you're not being promised anything. Conservatives say, hey look, here you go. Uh, Political identities of 12th grade boys, 23% identify as conservative um, that's more than, what, almost double those who identify as liberal. And what's interesting is, among girls, it's sort of the opposite.
6: Yeah, and we, you can't um, downplay the Jordan Peterson effect here. Frankly, um, the right has figures that are offering something to young men, saying, "Here's how you can improve your life and be a person of worth in a world that has ideologies that no longer value you." And that means something to them. And like you said, their cultural institutions, wrestling, sports, etc. Some of them have taken on an increasingly conservative cultural bent mm-hmm. that is drawing them to the ideology. It's a real pronounced thing. And you know, being bullied or harassed or called out in class for disagreeing with your teachers about politics or about COVID. Think of all the COVID policies that I think are associated with liberals and Democrats and the left that resulted in school closures and mandate sports teams getting you know canceled for years. Fair all enough. that stuff being on hold has had an effect. All right. So here
1: is some of the TikTok videos that now have permeated and obviously that the left isn't very happy with.
4: During 2020, when you know America got really like politically intense, and my teacher, she uh, was very politically active, and she wanted us to you know speak our voices, and they found out I was conservative, and they said, "Okay, you're completely going against what we believe." Like the whole school is very liberal, and they, I guess, they just kind of pushed me away.
1: So, how much of this newfound conserv- conservatism among young men? Is actual traditional conservative values, Ronald Reagan, shining city on the hill, small government, on and on, versus an own-the-libs
6: populism? I think it's more of the latter. The, the views you described have kind of fallen out of fashion on the right more broadly. Now we're right. not even just talking about kids. You know, Donald Trump represented a break from some of those policies, a very different foreign policy from what came before him, and at least, you know, changing on trade. I, I don't think if you ask these kids, you know, how do your trade policies differ from traditional republicanism, yeah. they're well, going to have much what, of you. An what's your feeling you. about
1: tariffs for China? Yeah, that's right. not really That's true. not going to happen. So, this, so this, is a, this is a cultural, social
6: conservatism of anti what? of anti-political correctness is what we used to call it now we use the word woke because it's one syllable and easier to say it's a rebellion against the idea that you shouldn't be able to speak in uh, speak your mind it's calling out the hypocrisy of people many of them on the left or in liberal progressive circles who said we want everyone to feel comfortable and safe and speak up and make your voice heard not you not you not if you have to say that they're sick of it and they're reacting to it
1: yeah it's a good point people don't like people do not like
6: being called racist and said, told you can't say what you want. Especially for being rebellious teenagers the way everyone was. It was never branded a social malady. It was just part of growing up. Yeah.
1: Who knew Who knew that wearing a MAGA hat would be like smoking dope? Yeah. In the, the, the 60s. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. Good my, to see you, my friend. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Next, the Biden administration may soon use American C-17s to drop aid to Gazans. We can't or we won't protect our own troops in the Middle East from Iran. So what are the real reasons we're going to airdrop food, whatever it is, to Gaza.
3: There's repeated displacement, constant fear, and witnessing family members literally dismembered before their eyes. The psychological, the, These psychological injuries have led children as young as five to tell us that they would prefer to die. Children in Gaza, we all believe, deserve to grow up. They deserve to grow old.
1: All right, Michigan Congresswoman. Rashida Tlaib calling for a ceasefire in Gaza today. She seems to be the leader of the pro-Hamas caucus uh, in Congress. President Biden admitted earlier he can't deliver a ceasefire. Instead, the White House leaked they might airdrop aid over Gaza. Few things are more expensive than flying C-17s halfway around the world and dropping aid out for photo op. But President Biden apparently is desperate because of discontent on the left about his policies Towards Israel. With us now, News Nation contributor, LA Times contributor, and former House GOP Oversight Committee advisor Kurt Bardella. All right, I've gotten done with your bio now. I don't know if we have any time for the segment. Um, Axios reports the situation is really bad. Uh, this is quoting a White House advisor about the situation in Gaza. We're unable to get enough aid in by truck, so we need desperate measures like airdrops. I'm wondering if it's more that they need desperate measures to help show that they're doing something to help Gaza.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a direct correlation with this proposal getting leaked and what we saw in Michigan this week with, you know, hundred thousand some odd, uh, Democrat voters, uh, not voting for the president, uh, in, in an act of protest, um, of what is going on with his Middle East policies. And so I think the president and administration are really desperate to try to show some progress, some forward motion, some action to try to appease uh, those people who you know voted against him uh, or at least wouldn't write him in. And uh, I think the big concern that they have is that that was just Michigan. Like the, these constituencies are in every state. And as we go along in the calendar, they're going to keep expressing their displeasure. Uh, And so I think the president is just trying to come up with something to mollify them. Hmm.
1: All right. So you think about these issues, right? And you've got the issue of Gaza. You've got the issue of the border now, which the progressive left views as a sacred cow. And suburban moms are now getting scared about crime because of the border. You've got the climate and you've got student loans. How is he going to... Appease, as you point out, this constituency in every state, especially swing states, and still win suburban voters on those issues.
4: Yeah, you can't. They're in direct, uh, you know, uh, agenda uh, opposition to one another, which is why I always think that it's a bad idea to try to, you know, if you will, uh, you know, appease your detractors at the expense of of your actual, you know, political wheelhouse. And I think voters ultimately respond to decisiveness. And strength. I mean that's one thing about Donald Trump, why I think he has retained his popularity within the Republican Party because this guy just doesn't show weakness. Even when he has at times perhaps a weak hand, he never projects that idea in any way. He doesn't back down. He doesn't compromise for better or worse. I think that the president would be better served being the most powerful man in the world and not backing down of making a decision and telling people who disagree with him, listen, I'm the president. It's either my way or go or, or test your luck with Donald Trump, but I'm not going to play the game I'm trying to appease every demographic. Because it's impossible to do that. Yeah, I,
1: it's it's interesting the calculation the White House is making because they seem almost afraid of the progressive left, um, especially on the issue of Israel. That they they keep trying to offer these olive branches and these sort of little these these very kind of minor uh, photo ops, for lack of a better term, or or offers of of. of, of of doing something to help Gaza mm-hmm. that that isn't going to help Gaza when the correct answer is, hey, look, get rid of Hamas. The quicker we get rid of Hamas, the faster we can help the Palestinian people. Uh, that's not something they're willing to say of all the constituents you, you see. And, and you point out rightly that the the uncommitted in Michigan were largely the Arab American vote uh, based off of the issue of Gaza. Of all of these issues, the border, Gaza, climate, student loans, which one is the most Dangerous for the White House over uh, the next six months?
4: Oh, it's the border. Because like you said, the, the demographic that matters the most to Democrats and to Biden winning in November is, is those suburban women, which is, which is a demographic that the right now. The Republican Party is kind of playing with fire with the IVF stuff, the abortion yeah. stuff, the choice stuff. Help but me understand. That same and, and demographic I, I mean- cares about crime. They care about yeah. crime at the border. They care about worrying about their kids going to get killed by an illegal immigrant like this what happened in Georgia. That's an issue that cuts through that.
1: In, in just a couple of sentences, why is a de facto open border such a sacred cow for the progressive left?
4: I think that they get wrapped up in the idea that, you know, like they say, we're a nation of immigrants. We want to accept everyone. humanitarian relief. I think they get trapped in their own kind of moral righteousness and, and if you will, goodness. Um, but I think that's contrary to where most people in this country are. I think most people are just fed up with this issue, Frankly, We've been talking about this issue for yeah. two decades now, man. They just want something done, and it seems very we, common sense that, we, yeah, we closed the border and secure it. We,
1: we played a clip from 20 years ago having the exact same conversation um, that we're all <laughs> having right now, right now. So there you go. Kurt, thank you very much. We appreciate it. In the next few days, we're going to likely get the Supreme Court's ruling on Colorado taking Donald Trump, off the ballot. We have no idea, of course, about how the court is going to rule. But we do know how the left will react unless they get exactly the verdict they want. They previewed their reaction last night when the court agreed to hear an appeal by Trump over presidential immunity. It makes sense, right? The Supreme Court, the highest court in the land, the co-equal branch of government to the executive branch, hearing a case about the Constitution. That is how the founders designed the system. Right. And you would think that people who believe in democracy would want the system to work as designed by the founders unless you work at MSNBC.
4: For you to say that this is something that the court needs to decide because it's something that's unclear in the law is just flagrant, flagrant bullpucky. And they know it and they don't care that we know it. And that's disturbing about the future legitimacy of the court.
1: And there is the word that you're going to hear over and over and over again legitimacy. The court is an institution in America. It is the last protector of the Constitution. That's the thing, the rule book that we all agree to play by. When you undermine the legitimacy of the Supreme Court, you undermine the legitimacy of the Constitution. And now the Supreme Court is under attack.
4: Clarence Thomas needs... Trump to win again so Clarence Thomas can retire. And most likely, Sam Alito needs Trump to win again so Alito can retire instead of having to die on the bench. And so that's at least two of the nine who have a vested professional interest in seeing continued Republican hegemony over this country.
1: For what it's worth, he basically accused two Supreme Court justices of deciding cases based on their own political future in their life on the court. When you think about it, it's a heck of an accusation. By the left standard, either the court rules their way or it's illegitimate, which is interesting because all during the Trump administration, we kept hearing about the danger of attacking institutions. Institutions are what keeps the country stable in rocky seas. The left was right about that. Things like trust in the Supreme Court, the whole idea of institutions is you accept them Even when you disagree, there is a danger in tearing down our institutions, and we're going to watch it happen again when the Supreme Court rules as early as tomorrow. A lot more about this in War Notes tomorrow. WarNotes.com to subscribe and sign up for free. Our thoughts on the most important issues of the day at 4 p.m. Eastern. I'll see you on social media at Leland Vitter. Here's Chris. Right at the
4: end.
2: Everybody, I'm Chris Cuomo. Let's get after it. Immigration is the number one issue for voters like you. And nothing is being done about it on purpose. Biden and Trump were both on the border today, both saying they want to do more. But both sides seem to prefer the problem. But there are those willing to do the job of your interests. Tonight, we have a member of Congress from each party in the House who want to fix the border together. I'll give you more on that in a second, but it's good news.